Hi, everybody. Due to technical difficulties beyond my control, the first few minutes of this month's Please Hold for Dave Sim got deleted by the app. It just stopped recording all on its own. I got two segments that are just like four minutes long. Dave's talking. I got nothing. So, what Dave was is talking about when this thing starts is <clears throat> Rich L. of Peoria, Illinois, wanting a service plush toy. And either Rich or Ben Hobbs found a place in China that can do a thousand service stuff toys for $10,000. So the big question is, after Dave sells 200 of them, what do we do with the other 800? And let's begin. Park Manaheim, uh, participating in this. We've got, uh, got too many other things to do. Um, but I did want to put out the suggestion of maybe, maybe uh, there could be Cerebus Fan Consortium that would produce a, uh, a Cerebus plush doll. I mean, uh, uh, Benjamin, pretty much on, on his Adinaki, uh decided to go ahead and do um, Cerebus and Hell hardcovers. I certainly wasn't going to do Cerebus and Hell hardcovers, but... Uh, Benjamin's been doing that. Uh, I can't. I can't see why uh, the the most dedicated Cerebus fans interested in Cerebus plush toys, three or four of them, couldn't couldn't get together and say, "Okay, we're going to figure out how how we can do this," and they could they could do it with our blessing. What about you? Are you are you in the in the uh, the state of mind of, of wanting to be a partner in uh, in Cerebus Flesh Story? Yes. Kind Are of. You? I mean, it all depends on, on, on how much money I'd have to throw in. Yeah. See, I don't, I, I, I don't think uh, Rich in Peoria is, um, uh, he's, he's had some health concerns uh, over the last while, so I don't think he'd be doing any of the physical lifting and uh, packaging and shipping and stuff like that. But uh, you know, that's that's one of those things. Maybe maybe he's the money guy. I don't know how's how's Rich doing in a in a money end of things. So these these are all these are all possibilities. It's like I I try to be very very open minded about uh, you know the Cerebus intellectual property and uh, if it's something that I can't picture I Park Banna on doing on its own and uh, service plush toys seem to be uh, in that category for me uh, I don't I don't want it ever to be ruled out as a possibility so I'll throw it out I'll throw it out as a possibility there uh, maybe maybe you and uh and Janet's Pearl and uh, and Bullwinkle and and Paula could be the packaging and wrapping Cerebus plush toys people. Have you have you got room for eight hundred and fifty uh, Cerebus plush toys over there? <clears throat> yes, ish. <laughs> there probably wouldn't be room for Bullwinkle then, but uh, but uh, hey, it's. Uh, it really depends on, on how, how devoted anybody is 
to the idea of the term of flush toy. It, at, at that point, it, it would turn into either Paula is going to decide to be on board with this, or I'm going to have lots of signs saying, just don't open that closet. Right. <laughs> and if you do, make sure you have alerted the authorities first. Okay, so, yeah, I wanted to uh, get us caught up on uh, uh, the Cerebus Flush Toys uh, questions, uh, particularly for Richelle, since uh, um, he, was, he was the one that, uh, uh, that brought it up. And um, by all means, keep, keep looking into this, Rich. Uh, I'm sure Cerebus Fandom would thank you if you were the person who was able to revive the uh, the service flush toy from I don't think that they've been done since the early 1980s so uh, so it was a thousand for how much uh ten thousand dollars <sighs> okay everybody start digging through the couch cushions yes we could have a, a huge consortium um Hundred and fifty, two thousand, five, eight thousand Cerebus fans and their couch cushion money. Um, okay, so that uh, that takes care of that one. I wanted to say thank you for every to everyone who uh, participated in the uh, service number two Kickstarter that just came to an end. Um, I had asked everybody not to tell me how it was doing um, and see if. Uh, uh, if that helped the, help the result, if Dave Sim has no idea how the Kickstarter is doing. And uh, arguably that happened because it, uh, it came out to $35,366. And evidently, the uh, Dagan's going to be doing his Indiegogo follow-up thing. So if you missed the, uh, the service number two Kickstarter, while it was going on, you, you're going to have one more try on uh, on Indiegogo. Okay. And um, I don't know if I want to get too far into this. One, one of the other things that's, that's going on right now is um, uh, trying to come up with stuff for, uh, for the Kickstarters. And... Uh, I'm going to elbow my way in on Benjamin and Laura's Therapist in Hell hardcovers um, Kickstarter and get them to offer a uh, shrink-wrapped package of the first six Therapist in Hell volumes autographed. And uh, we're also talking about uh, coming up with a a gift card. Well, not a gift card, a, a greeting card that would be like a, you could get a uh, Cerebus uh, birthday card or a Cerebus uh, Christmas card uh, or a Cerebus unrelated card something or something that's only related to Cerebus, like uh, a happy baby throwing day uh, card. And I'm going to be asking uh, Cerebus fans in general uh, if you can come up with uh, a laugh out loud or laugh my effing A-O-L, however that goes, um, birthday, uh, birthday card or Christmas card idea, 
sending you some free birthday or Christmas cards uh, because this is this is something that I'd like to see ongoing with the with the Kickstarter. So we have a, a whole collection of uh, of greeting cards um, available, starting with like one or two for each Kickstarter, and eventually getting to the point where if you finally crack down. Uh, Give up the ghost and and go. Okay, I gotta have these Christmas cards. We'll we'll have a whole collection of them for you um, available. So that I think covers everything for me. Pre Kickstarter or pre uh, please hold for Dave Sim. Uh, how about you? You got anything else that uh, that we need to add in here first? The the only. The only uh, greeting card that pops into my head is service in hell saying, <laughs> saying, kind of defeats the point, doesn't it? And a big banner over that says, Happy Arbor Day. <laughs> that would be good. See, that's exactly the kind of thing that I'm looking for. I think we can, we can do this the same way that uh, uh, Sandy and I uh, started service in hell. Which was uh, the funniest? The funniest ideas go first. So anybody's got any idea, throw them out there. I think we'll know when we hit the L O L card idea because everybody will go, "Oh, that one, that one." We, uh, I I would definitely buy that one. Okay, and that brings us to yeah, you said it right here. Uh, is it really please hold time already? These are coming up faster and faster, aren't they? It was last weekend. I wasn't going to work. Cause I'm like, it's the first weekend of October. I have to be ready for Dave. And I'm like, wait, wait, no. The first is after Thursday, so I still got a week. Yeah. Yeah. And still, it's, it's right here. Uh... All I expected to open was we begin, I hope, with a phone message from Jeff Styler. Uh, obviously, we most are likely aren't now. Yes, this is our first uh, please hold for Dave's Sim without our traditional Jeff Styler question leading off. Uh, I figured we're mostly just going to be remembering Jeff, but uh, one guy who did send in questions is somebody who we couldn't do. Please hold for Dave Sim without Michael R. from Easton, Pennsylvania. Yes, so we'll uh, we'll get to Michael's question. Uh, I wanted to ask you: Have you heard anything from uh, from uh, Minneapolis or uh, your contacts there? Um, you said that, that there wasn't even uh, an obituary. I, I I've been looking. And I have not found one yet. Uh, somebody on face on Jeff's Facebook that went to Oral Roberts University with him said it posted going did anybody hear anything and I commented saying I haven't heard anything but you know you know if anybody hears anything let us know and that that's all I've heard I haven't heard anything from anybody in Minneapolis yet. Okay, all right. That it's my new it's my new uh, how did I phrase it to my dad? My my new uh, understanding of hell is I have to answer the phone every time it rings 
because I don't know if this is going to be a call about Jeff from somewhere in the world or if it's a spam call. And every single time it's a spam call. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. That's 21st century hell right there. Um, okay, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you, um, uh, when, when Jeff was, uh, was living in Wisconsin, how long was he living there and how, how far was he from you guys? Um, I don't remember how long, I think it was about a year, and then his prospects dried up and he got an invitation to come move to Minneapolis where it'd be cheaper, but he lived in Manitowoc, which is seven miles from my house it's, right. it's the next town over what what had happened is he for the people that don't know Jeff met a girl through Dave which is one of those things that sounds like a good idea if you're a service fan and sounds like a really bad idea if you're Dave Sim uh yeah I'll qualify that one that he didn't uh he didn't be, okay but you you keep going with the story and then I'll, I'll check some bits in as well. So what had happened was there was a teacher in Canada who used Juden Haas in her classroom and wrote a letter to Dave saying, I did this, and had all the kids write letters to Dave, you know, basically discussing Juden Haas. And Dave kindly responded to all the letters and uh, corrected all the grammar, pro, you know, and grammar mispronunciate or misspellings, and you know, you know, there instead of there, which makes a lot more sense if you're reading this. Oh, uh, I forgot that part. Thank you. And <laughs> going, and going. and then because Jeff was in the beginnings of proofreading, because he had discussed proofreading with you, uh, it specifically he had sent sixty pages of Collected Letters Volume One, hand corrected that he had took the book, hand-corrected the pages, ripped them out, and then mailed them to you before you said, Jeff, please knock it off. Right. So you set, you forwarded all these letters to Jeff as a, hey, you know, did I do okay, or something to that effect, and Jeff was able to pierce together who this lady was and what school she was at and sent a letter because... There was another teacher that Jeff knew that did the same thing with Judenhaus and basically just, you know, wanted to say, hey, this is an idea, and, you know, I like how you did it, this is how this other guy did it. And they started writing letters to each other, and then they started talking on the phone, and then she said, come live with me in Canada, and Jeff said, okay. Right. I will interrupt at that point and say, I did tell Jeff, uh... You don't want to be hooking up through something relating to the Holocaust. <laughs> because this, uh, this teacher, yeah, she did um, kind of the same thing with me and said, uh, you know, I really appreciate what you did for my class and we are going to be going to uh, Stratford, Ontario, where they have the, uh, the Shakespeare Festival. And uh, would you be interested in being my guest with my class at um, the Shakespeare Festival? And I politely declined because it just seemed weird to me. It was, it was fine to have 
um, dealings with a teacher about uh, UNOS and with her class about UNOS, but that was starting to sound too much like a Holocaust day. So I was <laughs> was very emphatic with Jeff. Uh, you do not want to hook up with somebody um, through the Holocaust. So back to you again. So <clears throat> Jeff, because he was living in I. I can't remember if he was still in Texas or if he had moved to Nebraska or Missouri, but he was living further south than me, so since I was on the way to Canada, he stopped by to say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, can I stay at your place for the night, you know, and I'll, I'll, I, you know, a quick little visit, and he, and he explained about what's going on, and, and, okay, I'm moving to Canada, and I'm like, uh, oh, okay, like, he had gotten rid of everything he owned except for what fit in his minivan. Oh, and, I forgot that part. And okay. so all his worldly possessions are in his van, and he's going to Canada to meet this woman that he's never seen. You know, she sent pictures and stuff, but, like, he, you know, he's never seen her in person before. Right. <clears throat> and he gets to the border, and, and they say, purpose of your visit, business or pleasure, and he says, I'm moving here. Which is a much different response than what the border guards were expecting. And, and they don't... They don't look at your passport like they look at your passport if you're visiting when you say you're moving here. That that starts a whole new ball of wax. And one of the rules in Canada is you can't come in if you have a DUI or an OUI on your record going back 10 years. And Jeff had right. a DUI. Yeah. So now Jeff can't move to Canada because he's not allowed in for 10 years after the date. And... I think it was 14 months before he would be able to get in. So he convinced the Border Patrol to let him come in for two weeks so that he could go to her place, unload his van, explain the situation, live there for two weeks, and then had to come back. So he established himself in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. And he called me to say, hey, I couldn't get into Canada. And I'm like, well, what did you do? And he's like, well, I showed up at the border with my van full of everything I owned, including furniture, and said, I'm moving to Canada. And I said, what are you, stupid? You don't do that. And he, and he went, he said, what? I'm like, haven't you ever seen Hogan's Heroes? You don't sneak everybody out of the camp the first day. You got you to gotta slowly get into it. And he laughed so hard. He's like, repeat that again so I can write it down. Right. <laughs> so he, he had the two weeks. Imperfect, imperfect analogy, but uh, uh, and and kind of related to the Holocaust again. Well, and and I forgot about the whole that he met her through the Holocaust things. And when I said it, it was just a hey, no, you don't sneak everybody out of the camp at once. And now that we're talking about it, that kind of fits the through line for hey, Jeff, don't date somebody you met through the Holocaust. Right. Uh, right. So it's, this is what we, this is what I call metaphysics, where uh, it, all of these things resonate um, through this. So keep going. So Jeff's in Michigan. She comes to visit, but it's like an hour and a half or two hour drive one way from her place. But she's coming on the weekends fairly frequently, and then sort of not so frequently. And every time she shows up, you know they're. They're together, but she's kind of pissed off about her personal life back in Canada. Uh, she's got a couple of kids that she's having problems with. And then 
with like two months to go before Jeff's going to get sprung and be allowed into Canada, she doesn't show up when she's supposed to and he can't get a hold of her. And when he finally does, it's, oh, I'm not coming. I'm breaking up with you. Oh, in the meantime, during the two weeks that he was in Canada, she took him to Toronto to talk to an immigration lawyer and paid the retainer, which was like 2500 bucks, I think? Something like that. I mean, it was it was not pocket change. It was not, hey, I can afford the service stuff toy money. It was, it was, <laughs> it was a significant amount of money. Yes, yes. And... And, and, it's, and it's a significant drive. If you, if you don't know uh, the, the distance between uh, Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, and Toronto, um, that's that's kind of a commitment as well. And and so during the four or during the twelve months, Jeff's in Michigan, and she's coming to visit. She's paying money to the lawyer, and the lawyer is you know doing what they can to fix things. Like uh, Jeff had a. Yeah traffic violation in Connecticut and he had to get it taken care of before they'd let him in and so he contacted Connecticut and Connecticut had no idea what he was talking about <laughs> yeah keep going so then she break, finally yeah because she's given him all this money and and he's not asking she's just oh okay I'll pay for that oh okay I'll pay for that but then she, when she shows up, they're having fights about money because well, you just want me for my money. And he's like, no, I don't. I have offered to pay numerous times and you refuse every single time. And so finally she breaks up with him and it turns out that she's got a friend named Wally. And, and the only reason I remember this is because this story was going to be in Service and Readers, Service Readers in Crisis number five. And Jeff had written it up and I said, I will draw it. And he's like, okay, and I'm like, but he, what he had given me, there were some typographical errors. It, it didn't read like Jeff is the best way I can put it. Like, he repeats himself a couple times. It it was not polished and finished. And I'm like, do you want to go over this once more? And Jeff said, oh, yeah, okay. And then I hadn't ever gotten anything from him. But the reason the name Wally sits in my mind is because when he told me about it, I'm like, okay, so Cowboy Wally... And he's like, what am I, Cowboy Wally? Have you ever read the graphic novel by Kyle Baker? And he's like, no. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, find a copy, you'll understand. Because in my head, in the story, whenever Wally shows up, it's, I'm just going to trace Kyle Baker's Cowboy Wally, and that's the guy she's dating. So her, her, friend, her friend Wally, it turns out, is more than a friend. And basically, she was dumping Jeff for him, and Jeff... I mean, a lot of this is supposition on Jeff's part that he told me, but this is what Jeff believed, was that, you know, that Wally put the mo put the moves on her and, and, <laughs> and stole her away. So Jeff basically is in Michigan for no reason, because now she's not even coming to visit. So he comes to visit me, and okay, shows up at my apartment, comes in, sits on the couch and says, I'm moving here. And I looked at Paula and went, okay. And Paula looked at me like, not our place. <laughs> and I had to find a real polite way of telling Jeff, you can stay the weekend, but come Monday, you got to find a spot. So I helped him find his first apartment, which it turns out was one of the most expensive apartment complexes in the county. If I had known that, I wouldn't have sent him there. And he lived there for a while, 
uh, and then he moved to a place downtown in Manitowoc, which was a block away from the strip club where he, he, he had his fun adventure. Right. And he lived there for a while, and then things weren't going good. He couldn't find a job. Uh, he had gotten another DUI at the strip club. And Which the therapist readers in Crisis Story. Oh, yeah, was that was... That was when when he told me the story for that. I'm like, so is this the end of the first story or is this the second story? Because it kind of sounds like it's both. Right, right. The short answer is, or the short version of the story is, Jeff's at the strip club. He's his bartender's name is Larceny, and she swears that her brother's name is Justice. Uh, Wrong. I forgot that part too. <laughs> That's. That's really resonant stuff. That's so Jeff Jeff has a couple of drinks, watches a couple of dances, decides to go home. He's and he has had a few beers. Like this this isn't sober Jeff going home. This is Jeff with a little bit of a nod on. And he gets in his van, pulls out of the parking lot, and the the strip club's on a corner. The east west street is both ways, but the north south street if you turn north, is uh, one way going south. At the right. intersection, it becomes two-way, further right. south of, of the intersection. So Jeff pulls out, heading west, as immediately at the stoplight, and as he gets on the road, there's immediately a cop car behind him. And he panicked and immediately turned right to get out of the way of the cop car, which didn't have its lights and sirens on it, it just was behind him, and turned right onto a one-way going the wrong way. A criminal mastermind. So the police officer whose lights were off suddenly had his lights on. And Jeff's, and Jeff's telling me, he's going, well, you know where the club is, right? I'm like, yeah, so let me guess. You got a tour of the police station and the county jail and the courthouse, right? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, and they're all within a block of the strip club, aren't they? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> because the, the police... The police station is a block north of the strip club. The jail and the courthouse are a block east. And it was one of those, they, yep, okay, you're not driving it. Because he didn't blow zero, so they, they're, you're coming with us. Took him a block, booked him, took him two blocks, put him in jail for the night. And he called me the next day to say, you know, hey, this is what happened. And I'm going, what were you thinking? So of course, a lot of thinking to it. So he gets another DUI, which means he can't go to Canada for another ten years. Right. And and in the meantime, she has contacted him saying, "Come get your crap." So there was a two week period. There's a two week period where he hasn't been sentenced yet. So he can get into Canada for two weeks. So that's when he came to visit you. And on the way back, swing by her place and get all his stuff. And she had said, I don't want you here, but I don't lock... I, I don't want to see you, but I don't lock my doors, so you can just come in and get whatever. <laughs> and he's telling me that, and I'm going, so you brought somebody with you? No. What if she had answered the door with a shotgun, Jeff? Well, I didn't think of that, Matt. Right, right. Uh, I can jump in at this point and say, yes, Jeff phone to tell me that this was the situation and uh, can he come by for a visit 
at uh, at the off White House, and it's like, uh, yeah, don't really see the logistics on that, but uh, if that's what you want to do, this was this was definitely a relationship that um, really really consumed him. I you know I would say relationship in quotation marks, but uh, definitely. He was he was all in on this, which is another one of those uh, bad resonances with the with the Holocaust. Uh, whatever whatever situation you're in going into this, you're not going to be in that same situation coming out of this. And uh, I remember he came here, and it's like, well, okay, you know, he, not a lot of people get to get to visit uh, Dave and the and the off White House. Uh, what do you want to see? And the first thing that he wanted to see was anything that I had in the correspondence files from this Canadian teacher. <laughs> it's like, oh man, there but for the grace of God go I. Um, I, I, I should I should footnote here for for the audience at home who are going he what. When Jeff was communicating with her, she t said that she had been writing letters to Dave until Dave basically said, please stop, and got, quote, according to her, mean, and wrote a letter that offended her so badly that she set fire to all the letters that y Dave had sent her. And oh, I forgot that part, too, yes. And Jeff, being Jeff, was what could Dave have said that would have set made her set them on fire. To which I say, well, Jeff, depends on how strongly she didn't understand what the word no meant. Right, right. Um, okay, so... so uh, the first thing Jeff wanted was the letters, and you said... Uh, uh, basically, I said, well, you, you have to narrow it down a little bit. I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of uh, uh, when, when all of these things are taking place. They're kind of incidental to my, to my own life. And um, it's like he knew pretty much when, when it would have been happening. And it's like, okay, I, I pulled out those, uh, those correspondence boxes and started going through them and went, yeah, but here's a, uh, an eight-page letter, here's a, a seven-page letter, and Jeff sat down and, and read them. And it's like, uh, <laughs> this, this has come to an end. This is probably not something you should even be vaguely uh, interested in, but uh, there you go. It's, uh, you know, there's, there's the letters. Um, she's, uh, she was just one of those... Uh, on and on and on about whatever it was, and you know me going. Uh, this is this is in a completely different category from um, the uh, professional interaction that we were having, which was, you know, can I teach um, your graphic novel Udenhaus to my class? And I went, yes, by all means, no problem. I think I think I even sent her. Uh, a class size set so that uh, everybody could have their own copy. That was uh, as when I describe Jeff to people, 
and you know, I'll be talking about Je- my friend Jeff. And people are like, well, what do you mean? What, you know, what's he like? I'm like, for every story Jeff had that ended with, and that's how I got front row center at the Rolling Stones. There's two stories that end with, and that's why I called you for bail money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, cruel but fair. Cruel but fair. He was he. I'm gonna miss him horribly. I mean, we didn't talk often, but when we did, it was always you know worth it. That's the best way I can put it. You know, after after we moved to Minneapolis, we only talked a handful of times, but every single time he called me, you know, it was one of these. I'll take an hour to talk to Jeff. Yes, yes, unquestionably. I mean, he had uh, he had this extensive background in so many different areas that uh, it. It really didn't matter what you were talking to Jeff about on the phone. Uh, he'd have something interesting and relevant to say about it. I mean, that's... The Rolling Stone story is where we said, you need to write these down and do a comic. And he went, what? And we're like, the stories you're telling us, you need to turn into a comic book. This is this is entertaining. And, of course, the first star he chose was the first night he needed bail, and that became Service Readers in Crisis number 1. Yeah, I, that was one of the regrets that I got is uh, on my list of things to talk to Jeff about was, do you still have the digital files for Service Readers in Crisis? Um, you know, so that uh, at least, you know, maybe even just uh, uh, print-on-demand we could do a collection of Cerebus readers in crisis. And I, I regretted that, uh, that he didn't keep going with that because speaking as the, uh, the sort of, uh, epicenter of, uh, Cerebus readers, uh, they do have, have a predilection for very interesting crises in their lives. Wouldn't you say that that's an accurate description? Yes. I mean, the the year that I didn't get to go to space because Paul and I bought tickets on the discount airline that disappeared when we got to the airport. It, and it, by the time we got to my aunt's place where we were spending the night because we weren't going to Columbus, I went, yeah, this is a service readers in crisis. I can see all the mistakes I made in the order I made them. Right. And there you are. <laughs> and that was why I'm in issue four. Yeah. And then yeah. I I want to say he had to have digital files that he'd given to the various contributors of their stories. Because I think Steve Peters is a copy of his. Right. But that's when and if I get a hold of anybody and find out what's happening with Jeff and his estate, I'm going to say, this is a project Jeff worked on. If you have no interest in it, I would like the rights... Jeff's share of the rights just so we can do a collection and get it out there because that's what he was working on the past how many years. Right. He didn't think he was going to get number five done before he got the collection done. Right. Uh, Yeah, that brings up uh, an interesting uh, question, which is, I think we, uh, um, a moment of Cerebus and Cerebus fandom really had the lion's share of, of Jeff's attention after uh, after he retired, but um, absolutely absolutely no legal claim. 
I mean, it's um, this, this is this is where his heart and soul was, and I think there are more people here who are um, concerned about Jeff and concerned about Jeff's memory. But uh, that in in the real world, that just doesn't that just doesn't wash. Um, it's um, family. Um, having priority over over everything else. So the fact that Jeff died in testate, uh, whatever whatever you can you can manage to find out, and uh, whatever uh, uh, contact you can have uh, in in Minneapolis um, with the people who who really have genuine participation in this. It's going to be completely on their good grace, uh, whatever uh, we even find out about uh, about what's going on. And I think that's just one of those. Everything's baked in that way. And um, you know, people people listening, uh, you know, it, it's it's an arduous process. Once once Jeff actually started down the road of starting to put um, a, uh, a last will and testament together. You just find out how completely complicated your life is when you don't think of yourself as having a particularly complicated life. Um, he got a, uh, uh, from, from a, I think it was a PBS pledge thing, a 95-page, count of 95-page, uh, how to put together your last will and testament uh, with, you know, uh, multiple choice questions. And I think he got all the way through that and was actually going through all of his possessions and just realizing, I mean, the, uh, the lawyer said, you know, he was dragging his feet on, uh, on getting the will put together. But I don't think it was so much that he was dragging his feet, is that there was just so much that he had to do once he started looking at um, everything that he had. Um, <coughs> excuse me. The, um, one of the first things was uh, he had uh, storage uh, at his apartment building, and he went, uh, he went down to the storage. He had like three three sections of the storage unit and um, it uh, all of the, all of the uh, storage had been broken into all of the padlocks had been uh, uh, broken off of each storage unit and uh, somebody had been living down there someone uh, had gone through everybody's possessions and uh, taken what they wanted to take and was theoretically living there while they were doing it. I uh, When I heard that, I went, I'm not sure that that isn't a cover story, that whoever did it, um, was it was an inside job, and they tried to make it look like a homeless person was living down there and stealing everybody's stuff. X number of things that Jeff had were missing. There were some rare books that he had down there, but uh, with his bad hip and everything else like that, he still had to move most of his stuff back up to his apartment while he waited for the uh, uh, the, supply, the uh, storage lockers to uh, 
to be to be made whole again. And it's like that was another one of those Jeff Siler stories. This 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 could only happen to Jeff Siler. So uh, I I don't think that there's too much that any of us can do. But uh, I I'm sure Jeff uh, appreciates the efforts that you are making uh, uh, trying to stay stay in touch with this with the people people in Minneapolis and uh, the lawyer there. That's, I'm, I'm going to try calling the lawyer and uh, the building super. Those, those are the only two numbers I got. The The name of his ex, his presumed executor was Aaron Cole, but he never gave me Aaron's number, so I can't get a hold of him. And I think the last time he called me, I missed the call because I was doing something, and when I didn't call him back right away because it was late at night. And then when I did get a hold of him the next day, he had been out to the movies and he he couldn't remember why he called me and I'm like well you said it was something about inf more information for me and he went okay well I'm like if, if, if you can't talk just text because that was one of Jeff's problems near the end was that speech was difficult yeah he was having such difficulty breathing most of the time that uh, um, uh, talking talking wasn't helping so that's, I'm planning on once I get this the podcast up on the internet. I'm gonna share a link to it on Jeff's Facebook page. So hopefully, people that know Jeff can listen to this and listen to us reminisce about Jeff. And if they know anything, they can get a hold of me through the podcast. Right. I think uh, at least for the foreseeable future, with uh, please hold for Dave Sims since we don't have uh, Jeff Siler's questions to kick around anymore. Uh, paraphrasing Richard Nixon. Um, what we'll do is we'll lead off each um, Please Hold for Dave Sim with uh, Jeff Siler Recollected and uh, we'll, we'll try and update people on whatever whatever's going on with the Jeff Siler estate if, uh, if we can find out about it. I think, I think you can at least get that from the lawyer. I mean, lawyers are obviously very sticky about what they're allowed to tell anybody about anything, but I think uh, it would be no problem for her to give you, here's what the public record has of the progress on Jeff Siler's estate, because everything has to be, uh, has to be done by the book, um, according to uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota law, and uh, we'll just, well, at the very least, we'll be able to let people know know what's happening with that. Right. Okay, so that brings us back to Michael R. of Eastern Pennsylvania. Uh, hi, Matt. Hope all is well with you and yours. Here's my question for Dave. Hi, Dave. I'm back. It's been a busy summer at work and Grace and I are getting a lot of stuff done at home. Yeah, they're doing a lot of re renovations. I think a lot of people are doing that with the, with the COVID-19 thing. They were already embarked on that, but uh, the last time that uh, I was in touch with, uh, with Michael and Grace, I think they had redone all of the floors, which if you've ever redone a floor, you know is no small task. 
while I was winding down last week, I decided to rewatch the Cerebus High Society audiovisual issues. And um, for people who don't know that he was what uh, what he's talking about there, that was uh, the IDW project, which was uh, um, me doing all of the all of the voices in. Uh, in high society, acting it out basically as a radio drama. And uh, George Peter Gatsis um, produced that, basically um, shepherded me through the whole process of recording, told me what recording device to buy, and then took the raw uh, tapes of, of me doing all of that and added sound effects and et cetera, et cetera. Um, Michael goes on, I am amazed and in awe with the work and effort that was made to get this done. Uh, from all your voices, the special effect background sounds and music uh, make this over the top in production value really good. And uh, yes, thank you, thank you for saying that. Part of me was happy that uh, it was, it was, uh, unsuccessful that actually brings him to his question maybe uh, uh, let's see uh if this covers it my questions are one was there any feedback from this kickstarter i can't remember and it wasn't a kickstarter it was uh, an idw project um, it started um, as a kickstarter what's that it started as a kickstarter that was the first kickstarter was it Oh, I didn't know that. I thought, I thought they just solicited for it. No, no, it was a Kickstarter because I have a copy, but my copy is all, okay, you backed it, here are the links to download it. I don't have a physical copy of the discs. Okay. All right. Um, well, that's, that sort of changes the complexion of, of my answer a little bit. Um, maybe Maybe you can plug in some information on that. The goal was to raise money to make Cerebus Digital 6000 a reality. Uh, what has changed on making this a reality? And what changed on that was that IDW ultimately lost a lot of money on um, the, the Cerebus Audiovisual Kickstarter. Um, I think that when, when they solicited Diamond for it, the diamond got orders for like seven copies or something like that. So, uh, any plans on creating another one? Uh, no, again, that was, that was partly a, uh, um, situation on my side where, okay, that was high society. Am I really up to doing church and state? Um, which is, uh, you know, whatever, more than, more than twice the length of high society. And am I up to being able to do uh, uh, all of um, Cerebus's 6,000 pages the same way? And it was one of those, uh, 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 yeah, if it's, if it's enormously successful, you know, if this just becomes... Um, Something that no household in, on the entire planet can do without is Cerebus uh, um, Digital High Society. And then I'll be happy to keep going, but it's 
one of those. Uh, I, I only have so much money coming in, so I'm always having to figure out what's the thing that's going to bring in the most amount of money. And uh, that's, pretty much, that's pretty much the thing, thing that I will do. So, uh, so you, got, you got a digital copy of it. Yeah. If, if I remember right, the Kickstarter was, we're going to remaster all the trades. Or we're going to digitize all the trades because that was, uh, you you lost the negative printer. The, the printers that would go, use the negatives, they all wanted digital offset printing. And so you had to convert everything. And the first Kickstarter was we're going to do the ultimate bells and whistles uh, digital high society. So you got a digital version of the issue with cover, inside cover, the story, the back matter. Then uh, all the notebook pages tied to those issues. I want to say, what else was there in there? Oh, and then there was all of the collected letters for for the time period as well. Yeah. Like, if I remember right, there, there were scans of uh, anything in the archive that had to do with whatever issue it was. So, like, there were receipts that Denny had written out that, that right. were, you know, right. the phone records. Because that was when you got to the, how obsessive are we going to be about this? Do you guys really need the phone bill for September 1982? Right. I mean, it's, uh, the service archive isn't complete, but where, where it has stuff, it definitely has stuff. Uh, this this was one of our first examples of, of going over the edge on that, or or starting to go over the edge. But from my standpoint, it was uh, if this actually works, then that uh, diversifies the Serapis archive so that X number of people now own it in digital form and makes it uh, far less easy for. Uh, cancel culture, which I definitely saw on the horizon and was one of the first to experience going, well, okay, how thorough are those people going to be if they decide that uh, not only do we not consider Dave Sim a human being, uh, we've decided that uh, nothing that Dave Sim ever produced or is associated with uh, should be treated as something that should exist. Uh, you know, everybody over the off White House, we're going to have a big, uh, big book burning, and destroy everything connected with Dave Set. The other thing with with the audio visual that was really interesting and fascinating at the time is you got Denny to come back and read all the notes from the publisher. Right. And and that was one of those where when it was announced, I'm like, well, either they're making a bunch of money or Denny's just really bored. Or it's like, uh, well, um, you know, Cerebus is the, the thing that she's known for. So it's, uh, yeah, uh, it, to whatever extent you can you can cooperate on it, let's let's cooperate on it. But um, bottom line, I, I I I think it was it was overkill, um, which was. Kind of the same thing that happened to uh, Cerebus Archive, the comic book. It was, okay, you know, I finished my 26 years and three months on Cerebus, and uh, now um, one of the things that I 
want to do is to explain the history of it as uh, as thoroughly as possible. This is this is where Cerebus came from because, um, like all stories having to do with individual human lives, when you go all the way back and say, okay, this thing met up with this thing, met up with that thing, and it led to this thing over here. Uh, I will now work to explain that, and it was uh, uh, one of the Cerebus fans that seemed to be a spokesperson Cerebus fan said, well, I'm not buying this until Cerebus shows up in it. And it's like, well, I'm explaining where Cerebus came from. Cerebus isn't going to be in it for a good long while. Here's, here's the entire background of you know, Dave Sim and his career choices and what was going on in his life. And it's like, well, okay. Um, with that attitude, uh, Cerebus Archive, the comic book, just staggered along for 18 or 19 issues. And it's like, okay, this is, this is no longer viable. Again, I have to make a living at this. And if it's not something that enough people are going to buy, and, you know, there were people actively recommending that people not buy this, well, okay, then the story will have to just remain in, uh, in raw form in the Cerebus archive, and uh, Eddie Kana gets stuck with it, or whoever Eddie Kana decides to pick to, uh, to, to uh, or, um, actually put all of this together. Uh, well, there you go. There's, there's all of the raw, raw materials. I was trying to do my best Reader's Digest version of, so, you know, how did, uh, how did, how did Cerebus come to be so successful? How, how, did, how did that whole thing get started? Well, okay, I can't, I can't do that in a conversation, but um, having finished my 26 years in three months and Cerebus now being dead, uh, I, will, I will do my best to answer that. And then, like I say, that staggered on for mm, three years, three years of bi-monthly issues. And, uh, well, okay, uh, I was going to do my best, and uh, now, now it's just not going to happen. My problem with Service Archive was that when Jeff was visiting me one time, he printed off the first issue because he had the files because he was the uh, he was the online guy of trying to promote this book, and he printed it off and said, "Here, you need to read this." So I have a bootleg of number one, and when I went to order it, the store that I use locally, the manager got fired. The owners, the owner died. The manager was still running it. The family wanted to keep it open in his memory. And after a couple of years, they realized that running a comic book store is not the money-making opportunity they thought it was. And so they fired the manager. The previous owner's nephew took over, didn't know what he was doing, didn't know who to ask for help. And within a month, they... Like, here's how... It got so bad that... Paula went there for free comic book day, and they didn't have any new comics. Not free comics, any comics. They didn't know how to do the diamond order, so they weren't ordering comics anymore. That's a tough way to run a business. And and it, I mean, when when the uh, when the owner when it when the management changed hands, I went down and they had a pile of statues that somebody had ordered and not bought, and they were going to donate them all to Goodwill because they didn't know what to do with them. And I'm like, 
First off, these are anime girl statues. Goodwill won't accept them. <laughs> As a matter of fact, they might call the cops on you. Second off, uh, these particular statues are probably an, an investment in the probably an investment in the store's income of probably a few hundred, if not a thousand dollars. Are you sure you just want to give them away? Right. Uh, right. They had a. I'm trying to remember. They had something for a Marvel superheroes game. It was Galactus. It was an exclusive thing, and uh, they they were gonna. That was in the pile too, and I'm like, that's worth money. And they're like, what? I'm like, that is worth money. You you guys need to actually figure, you know find a buyer and sell it. Don't just give it because they were gonna give it to me, and I'm like, as neat as it is, as much as I want it, that's worth a couple hundred dollars. Right. And right. so yeah, I. That was also when I stopped buying Glamour Puss because I wasn't getting new issues of Glamour Puss because they weren't ordering new comics for me. Right. So, I managed to get one in three on the secondary market, but that's it. That's I only own issues one and three, and once every couple months, somebody goes, hey, is there any chance of getting a collection of this? And it's like, no. Right. I mean, unless we did a Kickstarter and kickstarted it, there's just, it's not going to happen. There's just, it's not going to happen. Yeah, this, this always comes back to the same same situation of it's just not that popular a thing. Um, as Dave Sam, Cerebus, uh, it's, uh, which is why we're taking the approach that we're taking right now, which is, uh, okay, service number one seems to have juice to it. It's uh, you can you can always sell service number one in some form, and I think with the service number two Kickstarter just ending, it's like it didn't do as well as service number one, but it did pretty good. I mean, it's. Uh, you know, now, now it's a situation of, okay, how long is it going to take to do the fulfillment on it? And uh, I'm not going to take the money on it until the fulfillment is, is done because I, I stick to that rule until people are uh, getting what they ordered in the mail. Uh, I'm not going to... Hardbark uh, uh, and I'm not, not going to take the money on it. Um, then it's okay, uh, I think I get, Aardvark uh, Vanheim gets a third, so it would be 12000 a little over $12,000 U.S. Um, how long does it take the fulfillment to get done? Uh, Dagan's talking about uh, Marquee will be able to print them by the end of November. So at that point, you're talking about, okay, instead of, Twelve thousand, it's um, six thousand dollars a month, and if it takes longer than October and November, then it's uh, you know it's going to be proportionately less than that. Uh, this is not kidney-shaped swimming pool in Hollywood time. It's like it's, it's enough money to keep going. Um, 
So uh, definitely, you know, uh, we're going to be doing a, a Kickstarter for a remastered number three, and I'll add in some, some new content uh, to that one. Um, and we'll see, okay, does it, 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 the question is always, does it level off? And where does it level off? Uh, if we have a guaranteed uh, 35000 on each remastered issue, uh, then we'll keep going. But I can pretty much guarantee that isn't going to happen. It'll be, we, 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 we did well with number one, we did less well with number two, probably do less well with number three. At some point we go, well, okay, we can't really justify the time and energy and attention uh, that we're putting into this. Uh, the ridiculous extreme becomes, uh, I could probably do better just every day I get up to work six days a week, uh, I do a service sketchbook cover and uh, I send those to Heritage Auction and they auction them off and send me however much money came in on it. And uh, the one that I sent to them, I don't even know what it was, but I think it was at the time that I was doing the, the wash service with uh, the ink over top, um, that went for $500. So it's like, okay, I may find out, uh, I'm just overthinking this. There's, there's, no, there's not a large enough Cerebus fandom, there's not enough Cerebus fans to really keep remastered editions and uh, digitizing everything uh, going. Uh, so that's gonna be something that's gonna happen when I die and Eddie Connor takes over. And Grandpa, in the meantime, is just going to do his service sketchbook covers and, you know, what else can I do? Uh, I'm going to recreate the baby throwing page um, because the baby throwing page is, is money in the bank. And just send all of these, you know, one page at a time to, uh, to Harrison's auction. Uh, I'm trying not to do that, which is, uh, it's like right now, Rolly is scanning all of the remaining artwork and I'm paying him, you know, his, uh, his hourly rate to scan artwork and send the digital files to Sean. And then I'm shopping the pages from the off-site location to the off-white house to Camp David and Rolly's taking them to Camp David and scanning them. And then they go back again through the process. We still have uh, reads, um, no, Reeds should be done. Well, Reeds should be done, but this is where Rolly's looking at Sean's spreadsheet and going, uh, I'm not seeing these things on uh, uh, on Sean's spreadsheet. So it's like, well, okay, if it's not on Sean, Sean's spreadsheet, then we'll, we'll just keep doing them until we've done them so many times that they are now registering everywhere and uh wow. we can say okay all of the artwork has been scanned all of the negatives have been scanned and uh the rare occasion as we already had happen um just a little while ago here's a page where don't have the artwork don't have negatives uh sean will just have to remaster it from the printed copy well i was gonna say but reed's got remastered so it should be scanned right uh, should be. Uh, I 
I, I just do as I'm told. <laughs> it's, uh, I, don't, I don't like arguing with Rolly, and I don't like arguing with Sean or getting into situations where I'm in between uh, on a situation. Uh, I'm assuming that uh, if Sean gets uh, a bunch of scans that he's already got, then he will tell Rolly, uh, I don't need these, and update, update the spreadsheet, and I'll ju we'll just keep going on whatever hasn't been done. But that's a good example of this is not a priority. I'm, I'm a working guy at age 65 trying to uh, make a living and keep a roof on uh, the, the off-white house and maintain all of the stuff until I die. But there's just, there's not a lot of money in any of this. There's more money now than there has been. I mean, uh, Dagan is is the dollar, the U.S. dollar rainmaker with, uh, with his Kickstarters. And, but we have to, I have to keep reconfiguring and rethinking everything because whatever worked um, six months ago or a year ago, doesn't work anymore. So, okay, now we've got to come up with another way to bring in enough money to pay the property taxes, uh, pay the insurance, um, you know, pay the, the heat and light bill, and all of those things like that there. And like I say, it's uh, Dave Sim um, redrawing images from Cerebus number one. Um, that's really about the only thing. And um, Spawn 10 and Turtles number eight, and that's it. That's all Cerebus is as far as, as, far as most people are concerned. And uh, apart from that, we've got 349 people who participated in um, the Service Number two, 2 Kickstarter and 129 people that participated in the Service Archive portfolio uh, number nine that we just did. And that's that's it. I, I, I've been assuming all along that that's just one of those um, cancel culture steamroller things that it's very very difficult to keep going when the politically correct people and I will call them feminists because I think that's where the problem originates make it very very difficult to make even a modest living at something so I want to to whatever extent is possible uh, maintain everything for however many years I've got left pass it on to Eddie Kana, and then he will maintain it for however many years he has left. And maybe somewhere up ahead, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, when there's been you know a half dozen presidents of Aardvark Van Eyde, um, people will go, hey, maybe we should stop doing this. Maybe instead of trying to destroy Cerebus and destroy Dave Sims' memory, uh, maybe we should actually look at it and and see what, what's actually here, as opposed to what the um, major cancel culture people uh, tell us is here, that we automatically default to destroying. Well, the, the three things that fa the fandom asks 
for the most. And and it's 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 the list that we go over every time this comes up. But I I'll do it one more time. Just you know, the, for the record, it's people want hardcovers, and we know hardcovers aren't, but they're not feasible because we're not Marvel. If you were Marvel, you could do hardcovers out the wazoo, and it wouldn't matter. Right. But you're not Marvel. You're Arvard Vanheim. Uh, the next. Which, which is, again, just to emphasize, it's like microscopic by comparison. It's not just orders of magnitude. It's, no, this, this thing has been destroyed in, uh, in the comic book environment. And we're just, we're just darned lucky to have 120 people or 350 people who uh, want to support it as opposed to destroy it. Sorry, I interrupted. Look, uh, the next thing is a collection of service archive comes up regularly. So my question there is, if the series had continued, how many more issues do you think you would have done before you got to your service number one? Um, I would. I, I had already pretty much gotten to that in terms of. I think the issue that had the, um, the logo, the first logo. Yeah. The first, uh, logo design, the, the, uh, um, the Cerebus icon that I drew for Cerebus, the fanzine, um, for Aardvark Van I press. Um, that was okay. This is, this is where Cerebus shows up for the first time, but, uh, there's a fair amount of history there before you get, to um, Cerebus number one, per se, the comic book. And even when you get to Cerebus number one, the comic book, it's uh, just the splash page that I had done thinking, hey, I think everybody's missing uh, what the success is of, uh, of, of Howard the Duck. Um, that it's a funny animal in the world of humans. Everybody was doing a lot of funny animal titles, but they were all funny animal, complete funny animal titles. Uh, let's try a funny animal in the world of humans and see if, uh, if that hits the hot button. And trying to uh, uh, get Mike Friedrich at, uh, at Starreach uh, interested in that. So that's, that's the problem. If you actually tell the story the way that it happened, um, people want this overnight success thing uh, and it's like uh, this has been limping along since uh, 1977 um, providing a pretty good living like really good living I would say in uh, late 1890s or, or 1980s 1990s uh, but uh, surfacing at that point and then submerging again so that it became a a hand about the existence. So it's one of those uh, when 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 you ask about the Cerebus archive in that sense, like uh, how long would it take to get to Cerebus number one? It's like I don't know. I I tell this is this part of the story, and then the next part of the story follows that. The next part of the story follows that, and I'll I'll get to it when I get to it, and that's. That's uh, an impossible sell with uh, even with the Cerebus fans, let alone sitting in some 
publisher's office going, okay, we want to, we want to uh, finance you doing this story. It's like, <laughs> no, you, you probably don't because it's, it's, it's not going to, it's not going to work that way. It's the same situation with, uh, a strange death of Alex Raymond. Uh, I'm sitting down and doing it, um, uh, back to mocking up pages. I can average about three pages a week. Some weeks I only get one done. Some weeks I only get two done, but it's, well, I, I have to do it sequentially. I have to explain this thing so that I can explain that thing, which then leads to this thing, which then brings in another surprise that I didn't anticipate. Uh, all I could say if I was talking to Strange Death of Alex Raymond fans, which could be the situation after December 1st, if the street date holds and the book actually becomes available and has any kind of success. Um, if I was talking to an Alex Raymond Rip Kirby fan, which there are almost none of those either, I could say, okay, well, you know the, uh, the IDW uh, collections. Uh, I'm working on Bleak Prospects, and I've worked all the way through Bleak Prospects, and I now have to do um, the Marcel character as Alex Raymond, uh, explaining that, which I'm figuring that would take like two or three pages. And then I have to talk about why the Bleak Prospect storyline had some of the best brush artwork Alex Raymond ever did right up to the last two weeks when all of a sudden it changed into bare outline inking and spotted in solid blacks, which persisted into terror on the Thames. And here's a couple of theories that I have about why that happened, but it's this completely bizarre thing. At that point, everybody is shut down except me. <laughs> it's like, I'm the only one that knows what I'm talking about. And, and Eddie Conant knows uh, what I'm talking about because he's been, uh, been with me on this long, hard slog um, for the last 10 years. And uh, that's, that's just how it has to be done. It's, it's the same way that I did service. One, one page at a time, and I, I focus on that. And now I go on to the next page. And unfortunately, when you have the, the knee jerks reaction of, well, this sucks, then, okay, that's, you, you just, you just killed the thing because that's the only way that, uh, that it could possibly exist. I interrupted again. Now, oh, the, you the, 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 uh, third. the third thing is a collection of following servers, which I know. The rights for that are, are tied up with Craig Miller's estate, and uh, John from Windmill is putting Spectrum up online. And somebody's well, you could ask him. He, you know, he, he's like, uh, but everything I understand, that was Craig's baby, not necessarily John's. Yeah, um, that gets into families again. Like the 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 intention that Craig Miller was, had was that uh, Jennifer Miller, his daughter, um, would inherit um, everything that he had. Uh, but she, uh, Jennifer was the object of a extremely adversarial um, child custody 
battle between Craig and his and his ex-wife. So essentially, I'm adopting the same posture, which is um, from the printed copies of uh, following Cerebus, uh They could they could be remastered relatively easily. It's very very crisp printing, and uh, then then it would be. Um, Jennifer Miller's, but uh, uh, I, I don't think Jennifer Miller even goes by Miller anymore. She's she's using her mother's name. I'm not sure that her mother would even uh, refer to Craig or anything that Craig did, and that's unfortunately the situation with uh, a family as default legal setting. Families are usually um, the worst custodian. Of, uh, of anything, not because of any um, basic um, malice on their part, just complete disinterest. These are, these are very specialized interests. Uh, the same thing with uh, comic art news and reviews. Um, you know, people are, are asked, well, what about those earliest interviews that you did? Why don't, why don't you do a collection of those? It's like, well, because that belongs to John Valjay's estate. And as far as I know, uh, John Valjay died intestate, which means the family became the custodians of it and basically end up, uh, you know, how long are we going to keep renting John's apartment and going through all of this crap? Um, let's, you know, give away all of his clothes to the Goodwill, throw all of this stuff in the dumpster. Um, take whatever insurance money he had or whatever, uh, split it up among the family, and uh, that's it. That's, that's John's legacy. There's nothing I can do about that. I, I gave copies of, I, as far as I know, I'm one of the few people that has copies of comic art news and reviews. Uh, I went to the funeral, and uh, I gave custody of it to David Balgey and said... Uh, you know, John uh, didn't want the material reproduced for some reason, but it exists. It's now in your custody, and you you have to make the decisions about it. And that's really where where that one was left. This is this is one of the reasons that I advocate. Who is who is your biggest fan of your work? Leave it to him, because he's the only one that's going to care enough about it to actually do the right thing with it, which is, you know, to make sure that it's maintained. He knows what it is that he's looking at. And, um, you know, he will he will preserve it for, for future service fans. Families just don't have that level of interest. It's like this was, this was whatever dad worked on so that, um, you know, in Jennifer's case, he couldn't, he didn't have time to play Barbie with me, um, so that's that's the level of interest. This is uh, I don't I don't know about Cerebus. I don't really care about Cerebus, but unfortunately, um, she is the custodian of uh, a following Cerebus. I don't think anybody would do anything about it if uh, somebody wants to scan all of following Cerebus and um, you know put it on a moment of Cerebus. But that's the situation of you can't sell this because there's not enough people to buy it. 
how many of the 125 Cerebus fans who support all of these things would buy a collection of following Cerebus. Most of them have following Cerebus. They might be missing an issue or two, but um, that that's fine. They've got uh, the, the original magazine. So, so last spring, when I was in lockdown with the kids because they couldn't go to school and I was getting paid to stay home and take care of them and do online schooling, <clears throat> I started to scan all my all the pages for Service Companion 1 and 2 and following Service 1 through 12 because I'm like, I'm going to scan. You, you didn't. I, I, didn't get, I didn't get all of them done before I had to go back to work in June, but I got the first... Service Companion 1 and 2 done in, like, half the issues of following service. Right. And my intention is I'm scanning this so I can have it digitally, and then I was putting it through a uh, uh, digital reader that would that would make it so that it was, it, was, it was converted to a text file so I could, you know, find what I was looking for. Because I, I invariably run into which issue was that? Was it 4 or was it 5? Was it 3? Was it 2? <clears throat> So my intention was, when I got it done, was to give copies to the few people that have asked of, hey, can I get a, you know, does anybody know where we can get this? Right. Let's tackle the problem from that side. How, how many people want this? And uh, at the very worst, you know, I could, uh, I could pay Rolly to uh, go, go find a, a photocopier with, uh, you know, 10 cents a copy or 25 cents a copy. Here's your pile of uh, uh, service companion following service uh, photocopies. Um, yeah, it, it's, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know what to do about it. Well, the way I look at it is it's like, a, it's like the Amomina service library. You can check out whatever you want, but it's got to come back. Nobody's making money on this. We're, we're just, you can borrow it. So, Already, it's happened two or three times where somebody's been looking for something from an old issue of following service, and I happen to have a scan, so, okay, here you go, here's the file, you know, here's the pages relevant to what you want. Uh, John P. Cook from uh, Back Issue Magazine, they were doing, an, they were doing, or Comic Book Artist Magazine, they were doing a feature on Barry Windsor Smith, and he was looking for the interview you did with Barry Windsor Smith, and I'm like, I have that. Right, right. That right. was one of the issues I hadn't scanned yet. So okay, here I'll scan the pages that are in, in that are into this. Uh, scan the back cover, which has got the photo of the two of you from a convention. Scan the next issues about last issue where you correct Craig and John about what they said about that photo that was wrong, and send it all to John Peacock. And uh, we're thanked in the issue of. Uh, comic book artist, I think it's number 25, where they have this big spread on Barry Windsor Smith. Nothing I sent made the issue because the direction of the issue went in a different area, and John says that, but he, we still get thanked by name, and I'm like, good enough for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's one of those situations where I would think if, if there's somebody that should have all of following Cerebus, it's John B. Cook, because He's like this linchpin presence with uh, with the Two Moros magazine. Of uh, if, if this comes up, here here's here's your best place to uh, 
to be able to uh, research it. Same thing with uh, uh, all of the digital trade paperbacks. Uh, that gets into funny areas of, okay, um, I don't own the rights to um, comic art news and reviews. I don't own the rights to following service, but this is a scholastic angle um, in terms of John B. Cook is one of those encyclopedic guys where, yes, if he's going to do uh, something on Barry Windsor Smith, um, he's, he's pretty sure that uh, we, we would have, we would have some, something on that, which we do. Um, the problem being is that it's not purely scholastic because John B. Cook makes money off of uh, comic book artists and uh, uh, the other the other two Morals publications. So that you 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 can't do that because it's well now you're uh, you're taking something that somebody owns and giving it to somebody else to make money off of um, when that hasn't been licensed to them. And it's like, can we all just get a grip here in, in terms of obsessing about these things? It's like any, anything uh, in the digital end of things, yes, John B. Cook should, should have them, what, what, whatever he has. Uh, I would go as far as I would get Rolly to scan all of the comic art news and reviews stuff and send it to John B. Cook because it is first generation uh, comic, uh, comic history stuff. It's uh, things from the time period, 1970s, that I don't remember, that I wrote when I was 16 years old, researched when I was 16 years old. Because uh, we all know, like, you send somebody a digital file on something, most people don't want to read stuff on their computer, so they're going to print it out on their printer anyway. Like, let's, let's deal with the situation as it exists as opposed to this idealized, um, you, 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 you can't um, transfer possession of something that you don't own to someone in digital form unless they're a university or a college or something like that. That's just a little, a little too pure for words, I think. So, um, that's when Dave Sim goes, look, let's deal with the situation as it actually is. Uh, if, if you're ever inclined to uh, continue uh, scanning all of your copies of following Cerebus and Cerebus Companion, and God bless you if you are, uh, yeah, just send them to John B. Cook. Here's, here's not an encyclopedic history of, uh, of Cerebus, but anything that you'd be looking for is is in here, and uh, you know you'll you, you'll be able to find it. And tomorrow's should have that. So well, that's that's my take on it. The fun part of the project was when I was missing issue number ten of Following Service because I bought it along with four other comics, and the bag never made it home. Wow, a mystery. Well, and so I said something, and it turned out Margaret had an extra copy, so I bought it from her, and then she sent me 
her copy of issue number nine. By the way, thanks for that, Dave. <laughs> because she was going to scan her copies in and she got a second copy of number nine so that she could break the spine apart so that the pages would lay flat and gave up scanning it halfway through because what kind of crazy person would do this? Now we're into the mental health thing again. Yeah, it, and so so she sent me, she's like, well, here, you can have this, it'll be, you don't have to ruin your copy, and I'm like, well, you know, thanks for that, but at the same time, let's do a book-length, extra, square-bound edition for number nine, because this is a very interesting conversation with Neil Adams, but at the same time, wrap it up, Dave, this is, this is above 48 pages, I don't want to scan all this. Right, right, and that's that's me being obsessive because, okay, if if I'm going to visit the the whole situation of Dave Sim and Neil Adams, I'm only going to visit it once, and I'm going to exhaust it because that's the other thing that you have to do. It's like if you're the only one that knows this stuff, then you're going to have to visit it all at some time. That brings us back to. Uh, Nervous archive the, the comic book again of uh, I will do this but if if there's not a market for it and it all all you're going to be doing is irritating the people who then um, are trying to preserve the material like you say that's that's a lot of scanning to do uh, issue nine of following service each of the following services is a lot of scanning. Uh, relative to the level of interest. When I was doing it, I got it down to a science of put the black piece of construction paper behind the page I'm scanning, put it in the scanner, line it up, scan it, flip it to the other side of the opposite page, move the construction paper, scan that. So half the scans are upside down because it's just the easiest way to do it. And open them in my Photoshop knockoff, flip them 180 degrees, realize that the photo, that the, the pa- pages are at an angle for some reason, so now I have to slowly correct it so they're straight. And it, it got to the point where if I scan something and it scans straight, I did a little happy dance. Oh, it's, it's the same thing when I get the Monday report, I, I trim the facts down so it's just, so, so the, the borders are taken off so that the print's a little bigger. And all the images I put onto a moment of service are 640 pixels wide. And when I'm cropping the faxes, if I hit exactly 640, you'd think I won the lottery. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you couldn't, you couldn't pay somebody to do that. No, you, no, you, you literally could not pay somebody. No, no, you to could do pay that. somebody, but that's a Kickstarter that's going to need some seriously deep pockets back in it. That's right. That's right, because nobody's quite, quite, quite as uh, messed up in the head as uh, as Matt Dow when it comes to service and service related things. I just realized I got uh, the prayer times are getting earlier and earlier. It's twenty five to seven, so I got about uh, ten or fifteen minutes here. We're going to come full circle because Michael's got a PS on uh, on his question is a series of questions, and I want to cover that real quick 
Uh, I heard about the passing of Jeff Seiler on Saturday's Emma, R.I.P. Jeff. I hardly ever interacted with Jeff. I can't remember a time that Jeff did not come to your defense on Emma. That's very true, but uh, there were also times when, when Jeff would give me grief on Emma and everybody else would come to my uh, defense. Uh, Jeff could be, <coughs> excuse me, uh, could be accidentally irritating. I think we're both in agreement on that. And one of the times that that happened was when we first started uh, serializing uh, Service in Hell online, which was going to be our our chosen medium. And uh, okay, uh, Sandeep and I have been working on this for, for six months. Now everybody is finally getting to see our hard work. And I hope people think it's funny. I hope we get some LOLs. And what did we get? Jeff Seiler correcting our punctuation and our grammar day after day. And it's like, if anything is going to kill your humor and your uh, ability to appeal to people with humor, uh, that's going to do it. And uh, nothing I could do about that. Um, it's, it's, it's a free country. Uh, I'm pretty sure he commented, uh, Michael goes on, I'm pretty sure he commented on a comment I made here and there on Emma. Uh, he did so with practically everyone. Uh, yes, that's true. Jeff, Jeff Seiler was your ideal um, participatory uh, fan. You definitely want somebody who is always giving you more content online on a daily basis. And I've forgotten this part, number two, I did name his penguin Pepe Lemieux that he had given, you, given to you. And uh, Pepe is still out back at Camp David uh, sitting on my old typewriter because there's no, uh, I think Rolly went, okay, I have no idea where to store Dave Sims' original typewriter now that he's not using a typewriter anymore. And I don't know what to do with Pepe Lemieux. So let's put them both on top of the stool that we never use. And so I always, I always see that out back at Camp David. If, if I remember next week, I'll get Rolly to take a photo of, uh, Pepe Lemieux uh, perched on top of Dave's typewriter on the stool that Rolly and I never use. Um, number three, in one of the Cerebus in Hell with a question marks, through one of the Kickstarters, I believe Jeff had pledged to have four pages drawn into an issue. Yes, he did. Uh, I remember correcting a misspelling of a New York Yankee, uh, Greg, G-R-A-I-G, not Greg, G-R-E-G, Nettles. I can't remember the issue, and I can't uh, remember if he misspelled it or you. I'm guessing Jeff. And it's like, uh, no, I was the one that, uh, that misspelled that one, although I got the story from Jeff. And as you say, it was in Super Cerebus Annual Number 1, and I'm going to forget all about this because I've got a prayer time. Can you let uh, Sean or Benjamin know that we need that corrected uh, in the um, Swords of Cerebus and Hell volume? Because I forgot all about that one. And if we 
politically corrected now, then it will stay permanently corrected. G-R-A-I-G nettles, not G-R-E-G nettles. And it's definitely in, in with the uh, pledge strips. And uh, last, last salute to Jeff Seiler for this uh, please hold for Dave Sim. If you can go uh, into uh, those strips in the back of Super Service Annual Number One, and um, I think Jeff would want one last appearance for his cat, not Yusuf, not the cat that he had when he died, but uh, Pud, who was uh, a giant, giant gray cat. Um, the biggest cat in the state of, of Minnesota. If you can just scan that that panel from uh, from uh, Super Cerebus Annual Number One, uh, it was it was I think a good year or year and a half after Foot died that I find out where the name came from, which was Putty Tack, the Sylvester name from. Uh, uh, the Warner Brothers cartoons, uh, Jeff had shortened that from Putty to Pud, uh, P-U-D, but he took Pud to the, to the veterinarian, and they went, uh, we can't put down the name Pud. And it's like, well, it's not Pud, it's Pud. And they went, okay, well, we're going to spell it P-O-O-D, because P-U-D means something else. So, consequently, P-U-D became P-O-O-D, um, even though in all of our hearts and minds, Pud was actually P-U-D, Pud. And that'll do it for uh, Please Hold for Dave Sim for October. Okay. <laughs> all right. I'm off to my prayer time. Say hi to Paula and... Uh, to Janice Pearl and Bullwinkle, and we'll do this again in November. Yes, we will, and we'll probably open with Jeff's cat because I have a Jeff's cat story. Okay, good. We'll we'll we'll, we'll just keep uh, we'll keep Jeff Siler's uh, memory alive at least uh, at least at the beginning of each month. We're we're neither of us going to run out of Jeff Siler stories most, anytime. Most likely. Okay. Have a good night. You too. Have a good night, Dave. Take care, Matt. Bye-bye. And that, my friends, is Please Hold for Dave Sim for October 2021. Hope everybody had a good time. Hope we had some laughs. Hope we all cried just a little bit. Just, just a little. And uh, last one, I'll turn out the light. Oh, wait. That's right. There's a secret message for members of the Little Orphan Aardvark Secret Society from Little Orphan Aardvark herself. Set your decoder bookmarks to code JS. All right, everybody got their pens ready? Remember, this is from Little Orphan Aardvark herself. Aardvark is depending on you. L. Ying Yang. Five. Hashtag. Spade. K, 5, space, A, spade, 0, space, P, V, L, yin-yang, A, copyright, 
space, D, spade, diamond, space, L, space, zero, three, copyright, yin yang, zero, five, Aquarius, space, zero, V, copyright, space, infinity, L, B, V, E, yin yang, copyright, space, E, yin yang, space, zero, V, copyright, space, hashtag, diamond, copyright, L, I, Diamond, spade, spade, infinity, space. Three, spade, yin yang, Capricorn, zero, space. Zero, L, I, copyright, space. Zero, V, E, skull and crossbones, space. Spade, yin yang, copyright, Sagittarius, Sagittarius, Sagittarius. Remember, Aardvark is counting on you. And as soon as I mail out your decoder wheels...